He is not here, for indeed he has risen. Take your Bible and turn to the book of Corinthians, 1 Corinthians chapter 15. First Corinthians in the 15th chapter. Starting here in verse number 12. Now if Christ be preached, Seth Brendan, turn me down just a hair. Now if Christ be preached that he rose from the dead, how say some among you that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there be no resurrection of the dead, then is Christ not risen? And if Christ be not risen, then is our preaching in vain, and your faith is also vain. Yea, and are we found false witnesses of God? Because we have testified of God that he raised up Christ, whom he, hath not, whom he raised not up. If so, be that the dead rise not. For if the dead rise not, then is not Christ raised. And if Christ be not raised, your faith is in vain. Ye are yet in your sins. Then they also which are fallen asleep in Christ are perished. If in this life, only we have hope in Christ. We are of all men most miserable. But now is Christ risen from the dead. Hallelujah. And become the firstfruits of them that slept. For since by man came death, by man also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ shall all be made alive. Let's pray. Our gracious heavenly Father, Lord, what a glorious morning it's been thus far. Lord, may we leave here with our cups spilling over. We request of you this morning that you help us to focus our hearts, Lord. Keep our uh, bodies awake that we may glean from your word what it means to serve a risen Savior. We give thanks to you for all that you've done. In Jesus' name, amen. In the book of John, John 14 and the 19th verse says, Yet a little while, and the world seeth me no more. This is what the Lord was saying. But ye see me, because I live. Ye shall live also. The fact, the fact that we serve a risen Christ, the fact that we have a, a, a risen Savior, sent millions to the grave in history with a song upon their lips, with joy in their heart. The fact that we serve a risen Savior really has sent people to the grave heroically. We can't even understand this. When we read church history, we are utterly amazed at the amount of people who were able to face death and not flinch. I mean, what gave them this kind of confidence? 
What gave them this kind of boldness? What will make Daniel when he's facing the lion's den? If he'll bow his knee in prayer again, bow his knee in prayer again. What will make a, a man be so willing? Just another conversation with the Lord is worth death. What would make three Hebrew boys, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, when they were threatened with the fiery furnace, if you would not bow, and they'll say to the king, if it be so, but if not, we will not bow to your statue, O king. I mean, what gives these people boldness? What gave Paul boldness? Be willing to be led outside of the city walls and to have his head removed from his body. What gave Peter in the moment of crucifixion to say, I'm not even worthy to be crucified in the same way as my king? What gives us this kind of boldness in this life? That what gives us this boldness in this life is that we believe that death. Is but a comma. It's not a period. We live in boldness because we believe we will yet live again. We live in boldness facing death in the faith because we say this is light affliction of what is yet to come. I believe with all my heart the half has not been told. I believe there's too much for us to even begin to wrap our minds around what is waiting for me in glory. Because I have a risen Christ waiting for me is my beloved who went on before me. Waiting for me, according to John chapter 14, is a place that he has prepared for me. Waiting for me in glory is my king who died for me. Waiting for me in glory is my savior. They even said in Revelations of chapter 14, in the third chapter, in the third verse there, it says that there is a heavenly choir being assembled. And it says that in the, in the revelations, when you get there in that third verse, it says that when they began to sing, they sang a new song. But the song's not being sung yet because I'm still here. And up there in glory, there's a spot in the heavenly choir marked down for Danny Ho. And one day, I'm going to get to sing with the heavenly choir like all of us because we have a risen Christ. All of this is true because we have a, a risen Savior. One day we will shack, shake off these old rags of flesh. One day we're going to arrive in a new city whose builder and maker is God. I believe when we get there, we'll fully understand what Paul was saying over there in the 15th chapter when he said, Oh, death, where is thy sting? Oh, grave, where is thy victory? Because if we could fully understand what is waiting for us, we would all be barging out the door trying to punch our ticket to go home now. Finally, we will see that death is not an enemy. Oh, right now in our lives, we war with this thought of dying. Oh, I don't want to face death. Oh, I'm scared of death. Oh, I don't want to die. But I believe when we get there, we will see that death was not an enemy, but a, a gateway to glory. It was the entrance into those heavenly cities. All because Christ is risen. 
Paul speaking here to the Corinthians is confused about their confusion. He said, these Corinthians are beginning to say that Christ is risen or Christ is not risen. And it seemed to be there were people on both sides. He said, don't you understand if Christ be not risen, there's no hope for us at all. If Christ be not risen, the day I'm longing for, the day I look forward to, the day that I have hope about, the day I'm looking forward to when I said, I'm ready to be poured out. I'm ready to give it all. I spoke just this past Friday to a Jehovah Witness. The Jehovah Witness told me that he said, well, what you guys have it all confused about is that Christ, he, he only rose from the grave in the spirit. He didn't rise in the flesh. I struggled with that even more and began to research it and found out there are many religions today. Even Islam believes that Christ is not risen from the grave. What a troublesome thought. What a troublesome thought that all the hope we have in this life is if Christ be risen. Yet they stand today and say that Christ be not risen. Many others today even speak such foolishness into air. Well, just remember what was that a week or two ago when we was over there in Matthew chapter 16. Remember what our Lord had to say about this foolish doctrine? On the heels of Peter giving this grand confession that Jesus Christ was the son of the living God. On the heels of giving this grand confession that Jesus was the Messiah. After Peter made this confession, the Bible says from that moment forward, Jesus began to teach the disciples that he would what? Suffer affliction, that he would die, and that he rose again, that would rise again. But Peter doesn't like that doctrine, did he? Be a fire from thee, Lord. <laughs> Basically to say, not happen in my presence. <laughs> you think somebody's going to do something to you, Lord? But what does the Lord say in Matthew chapter 16 about a doctrine in which he would not suffer? What does the Lord say there in Matthew chapter 16 about a doctrine in which he would not die? And what does the Lord say there about Matthew 16 about a doctrine in which he would not rise again? He said, Peter, get ye thee behind me, Satan. A doctrine in which our Savior will not suffer and die and rise again is the doctrine of the devil. He said, be it far. The Lord said, you be far. When the Lord weighed in on this teaching of anti-truth, he said, get ye thee behind. And so it is today, we live because he lives. Paul said in verse number 14, look at this here. Verse number 14, he said, and if Christ be not risen, then is our preaching vain. And your faith is also vain. Well, let me tell you about this gospel. <laughs> It has not been in vain. Has the gospel been in vain? 
It's the preaching being in vain. It's not been in vain. I've seen this message. I've seen this gospel get the, the drug addict off drugs. I've seen this gospel get the drunk out of the bars. I've seen this gospel get the Pharisee into the church house. I've seen this gospel turn a, a, a murderer into an apostle. I've seen this gospel turn doubters into believers. Well, Thomas got to wake up call that day, didn't he? I've seen this gospel turn the miserable man and set him free. I've seen this gospel bring joy in hard times. I've seen this gospel turn lives around. He's brought husbands home. He's restored families. All because Christ has been risen. He said, if Christ be not risen, then all our preaching is in vain. But we stand here gathered together at 4,600 more Fedgewood, testifying that it's not been in vain. Testifying that it's, it's done something in our life. I hope you've seen it. I hope you can stand here today and testify about how the gospel changed your life. I hope you can testify about the day through the eyes of faith where you see an empty tomb. He is not there, for he is risen. He says in verse number 13 now, look what he says there. But if there be no resurrection of the dead, then is Christ not risen. He says in verse number 13, if he didn't rise, well, there's no hope for you. Now, I don't know about you, but I'm assured that you probably have seen the same thing. But I have been given the opportunity to stand by some grave sides where there was no tears, but there was some tears of joy, not tears of sorrow of others which had no hope, but people who were joyful because they knew that this was just the intermission. And on the other side of the Jordan, they would live together again with their beloved. Now, I could understand if your Savior was Muhammad, why you wouldn't like this. I could understand if your Savior was Muhammad, why you would stand on the tomb side and weep great, to, uh, great tears of sorrow. Because according to history, over there in Mecca, around 632 AD, Muhammad died. And if you arrive over there in Mecca today, Muhammad is still there. You can still observe his grave, but you can't go in because the tomb is still full. I can understand why, if your Savior was Buddha, why you would be filled with sorrow. I can understand if you was, your Savior was Buddha, why you would have tears of grief. When your loved one dies, because in 483 AD, Buddha died. And if you go visit his tomb today, the door is closed. You know why? Buddha is still in the grave. But when you talk about my king, when you talk about my savior, some people over in Jerusalem, they want to argue whether Jesus is in the holy sepulcher or whether he's in the garden tomb. This side says this and this side says that. I don't care what side you say because they're both empty. There's something about my Jesus. I don't get caught up in the both. I don't get caught up in it because, as I said, they're both empty. 
But Paul says some come along with their foolishness and said they stole their body. Some say that they stole Jesus' body, and this is why the tomb was empty. Verses 4 through 9, he says, well, let me go to verse number 3. For I delivered unto you first of all that which I also received, how Christ died for our sins, according to the scripture. And that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day, according to the scripture. And that he was seen of Cephas, then of the twelve. And after that, he was seen of, about, of above 500 brethren at once, of whom the greater part remain this present, unto this present. But some are fallen asleep. After that, he was seen of James, then of all of the apostles. And last of all, he was seen of me also, as of one born out of due time, for I am the least of the apostles. I am not meet to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace, which was bestowed upon me, was not in vain, but I labored more abundantly than they all. Yet not I, but the grace of God, which was with me. He said that there is an argument that comes along that says that Jesus is yet not risen. Religions of this world seek to say that disciples had stole his body away. And this is why the tomb was empty. They seek to make their God like our God. And they seem to make their Savior, so to say, like our Savior. But what Paul offers up to here for all of us is something unique about our Savior. He said these witnesses, of all the witnesses, he said that the greater portion of the 500 are still alive today. Meaning, at the time that Paul was writing this, he said there's still 300 that can testify that they seen the, the risen Christ. And think about this. This is where history tries to collide with faith. If we was to say that there was 300 people in history that attested to something, we would put it in the history books and call it fact. The resurrection of Jesus Christ is one of the most attested and verified in history of facts that happened in times past in all of antiquity. It is the truth. Well, what happened? Well, what exactly happened? Well, the only thing that I can tell you is that three days ago, Jesus died on the cross. He was suffered. He suffered. He was whipped. He was beaten. His side was pierced. And forthwith came blood and water, a testimony of his death. And all I can tell you for sure is that they placed him in a tomb, but the tomb was borrowed because that's all he needed. And three days later, I don't know what happened in that moment. I don't know how it all worked out. But all I can tell you is that 500 of disciples, 12 apostles, and even me, one born out of due time, witnessed this fact that Christ is risen. But look how Paul handles this. Look how Paul handles 
adding the verification process, validating that there was a risen Christ. He does not approach it from a personal feeling. Paul does not come into 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and say that Christ is real. And the reason that Christ is real is because he personally changed my life. Listen, you can say that, but you have not fully grasped the power of the gospel. The power of the gospel is not that it just changed you. You've come up short. And if you want to base that the reality of the gospel is true on the simple fact that it changed you, well, what about all the people who are lost in this Islamic religion, in the Muslim religion, and they say it changed them? What about all the people who are in the Mormon faith? These moral Mormons. What about all these people who say that the Mormon religion changed them? What do you do with all this? If it's just a feeling. What about all the people who spent 20 years in AA and they've never drank again? What about them? AA changed them. It was a personal experience. We do not have to argue the resurrection of Jesus Christ from a personal feeling. Paul comes in the first Corinthians chapter 15 and gives us three points. What does he say there in those first two verses? Moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel which I preached unto you, and also ye have received, and wherein ye stand, by which ye also are saved, if ye keep in memory what I preached unto you, unless ye have believed in vain. For I declared unto you, first of all, which I also received, how that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, Paul says, let me tell you something here. This, you don't have to approach the gospel from a feeling. You don't have to approach the gospel from emotions. He said, the first validation that we have that Christ is risen is because the scripture said so. And the scriptures have prophesied all throughout history that there would be a coming Messiah, that he would come, as Isaiah says, that he would suffer, that he would bleed, and that he would die, and that he would rise again. The first validation we have is the scriptures said so. He said the second validation we have is that he was seen of 500. There's testimony offered up that there is a risen Christ. And then he says, finally, finally, let me give you some personal testimony. I was a Pharisee of Pharisees. I was a murderer. And this same Savior changed my life. We don't have to be afraid to argue history. We don't have to be able to look the times past. There is no one like our king. There is not a savior that people proclaim in this land. There is not a starter of a religion that they proclaim to be holy in this land who's not still in the grave. The fact that we know that we have a risen savior is because they seen him. They seen the risen Christ. Look at verse number 15 he says here. Yea, and we are found false witnesses of God because we have testified of God that he raised up Christ, whom he raised not up. If so be that the 
dead rise not. He said, yea, we are found false witnesses. If Christ be not risen from the dead. Now a witness is a bearer of information. A witness is someone who offers testimonies up of what happened in their life. Paul said, if Christ be not risen, all the things that the church of Corinth had testified that Christ has done, he had not done. If Christ be not risen, everything that you say that he has done in your life on this earth is not true. You're a liar, and the truth's not in you. Matter of fact, if he be not risen, all of our hope is in vain. Now listen. Listen here. Ethics. The ethics that Jesus teached on this earth, they were precious. And they were true. They were rich. They've encouraged me. They've sharpened me. They've moved me. His words that he spoke in this life, the Bible says it is able to fill more books than we have available to testify all the things that Jesus did and said. His power that he manifested in this life was unparalleled. There was none like him. There was no runner up. There was no predecessor. There is no successor to his ministry. He alone fulfilled this role. The Bible says that his teaching amazed audiences. People marveled as they listened to him. And though all those things be true, if Christ is not risen, they were all in vain. We might as well just fold our Bibles up and go home now. Because he's not risen. This means nothing at all. There's no reason to bring tears to your eyes when they sing about Jesus. There's no reason to get emotional when you think about the empty tomb. There's no reason to well up in your spirit to think about the thought of one day spending time with your beloved. You better get home and spend time with them now because when you perish, it's over. If Christ be not risen. Because really in truth, there is really nothing to test about, testify about if Christ be not risen. Verse number 17, the, the news is even worse. And if Christ be not raised, your faith is vain. And ye are yet in your sin. If Christ be not risen, we are still under sin. If Christ be not risen, they will, listen to me, the testimony and the prophecy that has already been given, if Christ has not come, it's too late to come. If Christ is not risen, then there's not only no hope to being raised from the dead, there is no future hope of being raised from the dead. If Christ be not risen, the only thing that is awaiting for us is eternal punishment. If Christ be not risen, Paul had it all messed up. We have to now say, oh death, how real is your sting? Oh grave, 
How real is your victory? He says in verse number 18, Then they also which are fallen asleep in Christ are perished. No hope of resurrection, no hope of immortality of the soul, no future state, no, when you die, it all dies. He says, really, when you think about it, in verse number 19, we are men most miserable. That's what we are, if Christ be not risen. But in verse 20 says, but now is Christ risen from the dead. And become the first fruits of them that sleep. I love how Paul writes. It's like those last four or five verses was too much of a downward spiral for him. It took him down a dark rabbit hole. He couldn't ponder on what life would be like, how miserable it would be if Christ had not be risen. He says, that's enough of this misery. That's a, enough of all those thoughts. Listen, let it be said aloud now. But now is Christ risen from the dead. And not only is risen from the dead, he is just the first fruits. You know what that means? That means there's a second fruit and a third fruit. There's a follow-up to this. This means the fact that we have a resurrected Christ means that one day when we put off this flesh, that there's coming a brighter day, that there's coming a day when our Savior is going to return just like he said. And one day, he's going to call us up out of the grave and he will again conquer death hell in the grave and these old wretched bodies and one day we're going to be with him for all eternity you know why because he's risen because if christ be not risen all that we have is in vain all that we have is in vain he said in verse 22 verse 21 for since by man came death by man came also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ shall all be made alive. We know what Adam bought. Romans chapter 5 and verse 12. Wherefore by one man sin entered the world and death by sin, so death passed upon all men, for all have sinned. We know what the wages of sin is, right? Death. That's what the first Adam brought. Thank the Lord. Because in the second Adam, what Adam couldn't or the first Adam could not do, the second Adam did. The first Adam brought death. The second Adam broke the chains and the bonds of death. And thank God. When I think about this day that we take to remember what happened all those years ago on the first Resurrection Sunday. How it has impacted and changed my life. You say, well, yes, it's, it's true. Christ rose from the grave. Do you understand the importance of this confession? I'm glad you asked. The importance of this confession is really brought home in Romans chapter 10 and verse 9 and 10. That if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in thine heart that what? What? that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. Your entire salvation <laughs> hangs on the fact whether or not you believe in a resurrected Christ. This is the entirety of our hope. This is the entirety of who we are. 
This is what makes us different from every other religion in the world. So how do we do such a thing? He says in verse 10, for with the heart man believeth unto righteousness and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. This resurrection, this resurrection morning that we take time to observe this great salvation. Don't ever take the resurrection as just a part of it. Well, it's just a part of our salvation. Now, really, honestly, the resurrection of Jesus Christ is the main event. It's really what it's all about, that he has been risen from the grave, and so shall we be risen from the grave. You want to understand the exceeding greatness of God's power? Look to the empty tomb. Paul says, I give you all the evidence you need. First, I got gospel evidence, scripture. There was public evidence, people seen him. And third of all, there's personal evidence, and that's how we approach the world. No, well, that's what your Bible says. No, I have I got public record. <clears throat> public record says in antiquity, 300 more than qualifies. 500 exceeds the qualification of making something true. So 500 seen him. Not only did 500 see him, I can personally testify what it has done in my life. Don't feel strange when we go out in this world and preach the gospel to people and we tell them about our risen Christ. That weird face they give you like, oh, <laughs> yeah, that's right. This is the exceeding greatness of God's power. This is what separates us from the world. And yet it is the power unto salvation. Believing in this. If you say, well, I believe that Christ lived the life and that he died on Calvary's hill for my sins and was placed in a tomb. You don't believe he rose from the grave. He tells you today, like you told Peter, get ye thee behind me, Satan, with this false doctrine. But if you'll confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. Let's pray. Our gracious heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for what you've done here today. Lord, all the singing was so wonderful. My heart is overflowing. Thank you for Brother Pearson preaching the word this morning. Oh, Lord, what a blessed day it's been to be in your house. We give thanks to you for all that you've done. If there's any of them, any people here today under the sound of my voice who's not saved, Lord, we beg and plead, do the work that you can do. And only you can do. Save the sinner. Lord, we give thanks to you for all that you've done. I give thanks to even having this building you've blessed us with just to come here and, 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 and socialize, encourage, and, and eat, and fellowship around your word. It's, it's a blessing to be surrounded by believers. We give thanks to you for all that you've done in Jesus' name. Amen.